Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. I'm going to continue with get in the boat. Get in the boat. And hopefully we'll make it more clearer and clearer as we keep on going on with this. Last week I shared a story, used it as an illustration of the Titanic and how the Titanic in 1912 of April the 15th was sailing across the North Atlantic and, and probably one of the most famous ships ever recorded for its sinking. And, um, and how, after a hundred years, scientists have now finally proved what took place was not negligence, but what they call... Um, Distortional fraction. Uh, sorry, that's not the right way to. I've got it the wrong way around there. Fractional distortion. Sorry, fractional distortion. And fractional distortion is when hot air and cold air come in, uh, gather, descend or rise in a certain area, and it changes the way we see things. We call it a mirage, heat haze, all those kind of things. It's how the air pressures begin to flow, and it significantly changes what you and I see. And how we then respond to what we see. Yeah? Which is important. And as the Titanic was sailing, all the log reports taken, all, all said and all acknowledged that that night was the clearest night. Stars were in the sky. And they, it's been recorded that it was the most unusual of nights. So then how do you hit an iceberg if it's so clear? Well... You shouldn't hit an iceberg if everything's clear. Right now, if there's an iceberg where Mary is, I should be able to see it because I can see Mary. But if there's fractional distortion, guess what? What I see is not real. It only appears real. But beyond real is the real. Or beyond the illusionary is real. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And scientists finally proved that what happened was is as that temperature changed, the sea looked like it was flatlined. It looks like they could see for miles when actually there was an iceberg right in front of them. So they hit the iceberg. It was too late to change course. Too late to change course because what they couldn't see was actually there all the time. And then there came come a point when they passed through and now they get into the real. And as they get into the real, it's like, oh my Lord, it's too late to change course. And subsequently... We now realize what happens. I think there were over 700 survivors though. And the, the ship that was five miles away, which was called the SS Californian, they, when they were looking at the Titanic from a distance, the, the uh, fractional distortion was so severe that they, to this day, say that it wasn't even an ocean liner. It was a cargo ship. It looked nothing like an ocean liner to them. And they couldn't understand, how can you be so wrong? It was clear. And, and uh, Captain Lord was his name, went to the grave, suffering a barrage of criticism because he neglected to respond when he should have, and, and they reckon he could have saved more lives. But he couldn't see whatever, what was so obvious because of the mirage. This is facts now. This has now been proven. And... Uh, the Cunard, I think it came about two or three hours later, picked up a load of survivors. I think they, they rescued about 700 survivors. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. It was, a, it was a, a tragic, but yet real 
story that we are all familiar with, are we not? And yet we learn the lesson that in the midst of all that was illusions, a mirage, fractional distortion, whatever word you want to use. It then seriously hindered their perspective of what they saw, how they responded. Now, I know you and you know you. You've never suffered from that. You've never, ever suffered from fractional distortion or distortional fraction, whichever way you want to use it. I know that you, when you are arguing with everybody and you've lost your temper, you're seeing it the way it really is. I know that. When you're arguing with your wife that your shirt was not in the cupboard, I know that you can't find it. It's a mirage because she says, when I go upstairs, there's going to be a hell to play with. And when she comes upstairs, you, lo and behold, you find and you discover the iceberg. It's called the cold hand or the cold side of her hand. Hot tongue, cold shoulder. So I know that you've never suffered this kind of thing. And I know that if you've never suffered this in, in the natural, you've never suffered it in the spiritual. I know that when God has spoken things to you, I know you've never misunderstood it. I know you see the end from the beginning because you're God. And I know you've never misunderstood God. You've never misinterpreted God. And you've never jumped ahead of God. Why? Because you're perfect people. You're peculiar perfect people. I know. I know that you have become convinced of what you see and what you think and what you have said is real and genuine. Only later to find out it was an illusion, but you told nobody. You think, I'll keep it quiet, they'll never know. They knew. They were just more graceful to you. Their love covered over your stupidity. Because they could see. Because on their side was no mirage. But as Christians, we suffer the same. Because we let our emotions rise up. Or we let what others are doing to us affect our emotions. Which then distorts us. And we think, You know, how many times have you felt like it's been a clear, you've got no problems in your life, and all of a sudden something left field. And all of a sudden in a day, your life changes. Guess what? It was always there. It was always there. It was always closer to you than you think. It was always there. But because of your panoramic vision only goes so far, you couldn't see what was always there. God saw it. God's like, iceberg, change course. You're like, oh, I love you now, I love you now. Change course. And the voice of the spirit keeps shouting, change course, iceberg ahead. Tony rode the boat ashore. You just keep going your way. And all the time, the spirit of God is trying to avoid certain disasters in your life. But you didn't see it. You didn't hear it, but it was always there. True? And when God... Shares his word with us. It's because his word has already seen what's obvious. But your understanding or your disobedience or your level of understanding is what causes you to hit what's right in front of you. How many times when people give you wisdom and they offer their advice, what are they doing? They're showing you that with this advice and this wisdom, I'll show you how to keep your ship and all your crew members safe. But if you don't take the advice, it's free, I can't force it. But eventually, somewhere down the line, you're going to run into an iceberg. But we dismiss them only to later on to think, you know what, they were right. It's too late then. 
Sometimes it actually severely damages and messes your life up. True? You say to your kids, don't run with that crowd. Oh, man, you just don't like him. You're prejudiced. You don't like him. Yeah, you're right. I feel something that if you go down this path, this group of people is going to lead you in a certain path. But how do you communicate that to kids? You still saw it, but they didn't see it. There are icebergs everywhere. Icebergs. And then we, have, we often use the phrase, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And the iceberg is deeper, it's, it's bigger underneath than it is on the surface. True? It's been there a long time, the iceberg. It hasn't shifted. Why? Because it scared off bigger people than you. It shut bigger people than you down. It's there for a reason. True? So we've got to learn how to manoeuvre our lives around such obstacles. How do we do that? By hearing his voice. Now why would you, if you're in your Bibles, if you go to Matthew 8, let's refresh ourselves with what Jesus said to his disciples and this whole principle of the boat. Those people were safe in a boat. That boat was, was, was built, the Titanic. It was, boat, it was a boat that was built and they said it would never sink. I think, once, I think one person actually recorded him saying it's a ship that even God wouldn't sink or couldn't sink. Well, that certainly didn't uh, hold up too much, did it? But the point is, everyone was safe on that boat. But they missed the obvious. And we can't, we can't appear like we're all playing the piano on the decks. We can't appear like everything's going great when there's trouble downstairs. Hello? You know, everyone can see that the boat's taking on water. This is not the, uh, what's that latest ship that went aground? Costa. Costa Packet, that's the one. The one that went upside down, on its side. And they were told and telling the people, everything, go back to your rooms, it's okay. We're sinking, no, it's okay. That's just, don't believe the propaganda given by the captain. It's not good for you. Go back, it's good for business if you keep buying and drinking. So they went back, and disaster all the time. The ship was sinking. Lives were being taken we why would you oh sorry let me let's go to matthew 8 sorry verse 18 matthew 8 verse 18 when jesus saw the crowd around him he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake orders then a teacher of the law came and said to him teacher i'll follow you wherever you go jesus replied foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head Jesus knew what the guy was saying, but he was saying, you know, I understand what you're trying to say, fella, but you know what? Even I don't have security in life. If you're going to follow me, there's going to be no security in the natural. Okay? Then he says this. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, which sounded very unsympathetic and harsh. What he was saying is, that person's dead. What you do for them is not going to change. But where I'm going... Is now and it's immediate. So if you're going to follow me, stop what you're doing and follow me now, today, right here at this point. That's what he was saying. Now it's only as we look back, because we're not emotionally attached, that right there, that would have been the reason for us not to follow him. Because we would have been offended. It's, it's, me, it's me mother, it's me father, it's me uncle, whatever it is, I have an attachment to it, to that person. And that attachment would have wrongly judged Jesus for what he was saying. But it's only in, the hindsight, only in hindsight now when we're not emotionally attached to that scenario, we see what Jesus was saying. True? But that was a potential iceberg. So 
let me ask you a question. Why the heck would you want to get into a boat if you're not interested in following Jesus in the first place? Why would you want to get into a boat if you're not interested in following him? He said it to people who were interested. As you continue reading, we will in a minute. As, as he spoke, he was saying to those who were interested and he knew what was in their heart. Because Jesus, you could never camouflage Jesus with what you were saying. There was no, Jesus did not suffer from fractional distortion. He didn't. Why? Because he could always see what was the real issue in people's lives. So when people says, I'll follow you, he knew it. When he said, I'll follow you, and that he could see the motive behind it, he told them. Or he'd give a, a, a very powerful illustration, which would take the emphasis away from direct confrontation. But it, nevertheless, it, 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 it would let them know that he knew what they're up to. True? So why would you get in a boat? This is a question that each one of us needs to answer this morning for our own personal lives. Why would you want to get into the boat with Jesus if you are not interested in following him? See, when I'm communicating this morning to you, I don't know who's in the boat and who's not. Because I don't know your heart. Only the Father knows your heart. Now I can see and observe and I can, I can make some assumptions and sometimes assumptions are wrong. Aren't they, Claire? You and I, that's our password in the office. We never make assumptions. We always get to the facts. You know, we know that, don't you? So, yeah, we try. So, I don't know what's in your heart, but Father does. So, I'm communicating possibly to two groups of people. Some who today want to get in the boat, and tomorrow they might not want to get into the boat. I'm communicating to those who have been in the boat for a while, and you may be thinking of abandoning ship. You may, I may be talking to people who have been in the boat a long time, but you feel that it's choppy and you're uncertain. Well, that's fine. As long as there's a heart there to follow him. Now, you may be coming to, you may come into service. Coming to church service is not the boat. That's not the boat we're talking about. The boat is having relationship with him. Christ lives in you and you live in Christ. That's the boat. Christ is in you and he becomes the hope of all glory. Relationship is what puts you in the boat. Walking, obeying is what puts you in the boat. Coming to church doesn't. So I may be communicating to you, and you may not be in the boat, but you come to church and you think you're in the boat. Well, hopefully by the time we finish this series, you'll know whether you're in the boat or not. And it's all about relationship. Always about relationship. It's not how many times you turn up here and you get a gold star. This is not like school. Johnny turned up every day, and now he's got all these yellow stars, and now he gets a, a biscuit and a pen and goes home with his little goodie bag. Look what they, did, look what they gave me today, Mum. It's not like that. We're only in the boat because we're following him. We're only in the boat because we love him, and our love is what causes us to follow after him. Our love. Our love. Love must be sincere and genuine. Love must be proved. Love must be proved. And throughout this year, God will prove whether your words are real or insincere. God will show you. Yes? How many times did people say, oh, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere? Well, let go of that. Come and follow me. I can't. I can't. Why? Because I've got an appointment at Mivaruka on Tuesday. I've got to go and have Mivaruka done. Well, do you want me to wait for Tuesday? No, no, no. I'm going today. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's things like that. It's stupid. In fact, if you look at the parable of the banquet, when Jesus sent, the, when he sent his servant out into the field to tell them, to invite them to the, the kingdom of heaven, how many excuses were in that field? I've just got married. 
I've just bought a cow. I married a wife. <laughs> How many excuses were in that field? And Jesus said to him, just keep saying as many, just keep meeting as many as you can and invite them and tell them there's more room. All the excuses were in that field. So don't tell me people don't have excuses because they do. That guy who got married wishes now he got into the kingdom of heaven. Why would you get into a boat and put your life under potential threat if you didn't love Jesus? Why would you volunteer for suffering if there's no love? See, when I got married, they didn't tell me they'd be suffering. They didn't tell me they were suffering. I thought it was going to be love every day. But it doesn't take you long to figure out that Carol suffered. My love has caused us to suffer. I keep saying when dev- devolution comes in Scotland, they get the vote. We're taking her back. <coughs> Your passport's up, Jock Weijan. You're back over the border. I've only got you on rent. <laughs> we laugh about it. She sees the funny side of it, I hope. Um, but seriously, you know, a relationship is, is love with friction. Of course there is. Now, if you have more friction than love, you're in trouble. True? It's your love that allows for moments of friction. And your humility to say, I'm sorry, you were wrong. <laughs> Seriously. It's your humility to admit that you were wrong, she was wrong. We could have been wrong. You didn't see the iceberg, honey, I understand. I didn't see the iceberg, I'm sorry. But it was always there. And that's what love does. But why would you want to get into the boat and put your life under potential threat if you did not have love in your heart? You can't follow Jesus and pursue that kind of life without love. Now remember, it might start at that little there. You work there. Don't compare your walk with somebody else's. Because they've had time and they've walked and gone through some stuff that you haven't gone through. It doesn't make them better. It just means they've learned some stuff. But if you're smart, you'll talk to them. You'll learn. How did you, how did you walk through that? How did you walk through this? How did you suffer in that? I heard that you, you da-da-da. And that's how you build. That's how you build a stronger faith by talking with other people. And it's getting back to what we talked about last week about related but not relating. It's people we relate, we are related to, but we don't relate with them. Why? Members of our own family we don't like. Don't could care less if we never saw you again. But you're related to them. And in the church, we can't have that. We can't be related to one another through Christ, but not relate to one another. That's totally anti-Bible. That doesn't mean to say I'm going to be best friends with you all. You know that, don't you? But it means we've got to learn to relate. At least take an interest in each other. Acknowledge their presence. Acknowledge their grace. Acknowledge their, their gifting. Their individuality. Their weirdness. Because we're all weird. We're all weird. Just some are more, others, more than others. I'm, you know, unless you've got love in your heart, why would you want to face the battle on the other side? Because for sure, once they got off that boat, there was demonic activity on the other side. And it reminds me, kind of reminds me of D-Day landings. Those guys in the boat, not only did they take flak in the boat, but once they got onto the beach, there was an enemy that, they, that was going to pursue them. And yet, with 
with a love and a passion for what, what they were there for, that's what compelled them to go all the way. And you know that when you're in a boat, you can't stay in the boat. The boat's only, only for a, a period of time to get to the other side. The boat isn't the be-all and end-all. The boat's just a vehicle to get you from one point A to point B because what was on the other side was the, was the assignment and the importance. So we can't put all the emphasis on the boat. But right now I'm talking about the boat, but we'll get to the assignment. Because the boat is really going to help us to relate with one another. And what we understand in the boat is very, very key. And how we, we appreciate the boat is very, very key. Because last week I talked to us that there will be trouble ahead. The Bible tells us that. And it tells us to have a good attitude about it. And I don't know you, I don't like trouble. I don't like friction. I like sunny days. Do you? Anybody else like that? I know some people love creating storms. I'm not one of those people. I like peace. True? If you're living at peace, I'm living at peace. And that's, I want that kind of life. So let's pick the story up. Verse 23 again, Matthew 8. Then he got into the boat. In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 8. He got into the boat and his disciples, what? They followed him. They just followed him. Why? And without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. This is not a good time to fall asleep, fella. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you scuffers, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves And it was completely calm. Wow. They were amazed. I bet they was. And asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Wow. Now, if you can sleep in the boat through the midst of a storm, then you, my friend, have entered into the rest of God. You see, there are some things that keep us awake all night. There are some things that we are concerned about, but it still does not rob our sleep. And it still does not take away my peace. I'm concerned about many things, but they don't cause me to lose sleep. But the things that really get under my skin and I get anxious about, guess what? I tend to think about more. And when you think about it and your brain's in overdrive, you don't sleep. Which now affects your physical capabilities. True? And then it's like, it's like the, the, you know, a heavy cloak has been put on you. It weighs you down. You can't get, we say, the monkey off your back. Because it's heavy. You think about it nonstop. Anybody ever been there? Yes. Right. And when it's off your back, isn't it great? Yes. Oh, sleep, food. <laughs> or food and sleep. You do things now because your appetite's been suppressed. Because you worry, you can't eat, you don't want to eat. Every minute of every day is taken up with this one thing that you can't change. Or am I the only one? Okay. And none of us like it. And then you read your Bible, it says, go and pray. Go and pray. So your prayer goes, if you flipping love me, you won't let me go through this. That's not a prayer, my friend. That's called a complaint. That's not a prayer. That is a complaint. Oh, Father, I know you have my interest. I know you're watching over me. Lord, 
teach me the lesson of this. God says, I like that. Rather than, Lord, just get it out of my way. Because that's what we all want. Got my hand up first. And sometimes you say, Lord, if they just left my company, everything would be great. So, Lord, get them fired. <laughs> Come on, if you could pray that, you flipping wood. Lord, my boss is good for the company, but he's no good for me. Get rid of him, Lord. Lord God says, you what? You what? You know, he's been speaking to me as well, you know, about you. <laughs> it's like the two football supporters, isn't it, who pray to God for their team to win. I just expect God to be divided over that. He can't. God can't divide himself. God says, you know what? Football's not important. It's not important. So, the storm came up without warning. It never announces itself. It comes without warning. You know, none of you know what you're going into work tomorrow. What, sorry, none of you know when you're going to work tomorrow what tomorrow will hold. David already said his bosses had a meeting. Now, if David's thinking, you know, they're having a meeting, oh my Lord, that means we're out. We're out. And I, I've had that similar situation where my bosses have met and I'm the subject of conversation. And you're thinking, oh, flipping heck. And then you start thinking, well, what kind of guy am I? And you start doing a self-diagnostic, internal diagnostic. Well, I'm not too bad. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. I do better than them. And oh, all that's wrong. Because now it's like, you know, I've got to shoot one of you. Justify which one should be shot and which one should live. That's, that's what we do. It's wrong. Right? So when God's already been at the table, it's like, you know, hey, leave me. I've got your interest at heart. I'll carry your concerns and I'll put them on that table. And if God's at that table, guess what? You can't lose. You can't lose. And I found that when, when men have been speaking favorably about me and they've been speaking favorably about David. This is a time and a season. Now those same men in six months, eight months time may sit down and say, we no longer want him in Manchester. That's okay because God's still in control. The same God that sat at the table will sit at another table. Yeah. All of a sudden now David says, you know, what's going on here? Six months ago you were right with me. It could also mean in the next six months he might not be with God. He might not be walking with God. You've got to trust God. True? So, the disciples got into the boat and a furious storm came up without warning. So much so that the water entered into the boat. Water entering into the boat does not mean to say you're sinking. It does not mean to say you can work in a company and redundancies can take place. Because redundancies are happening doesn't mean to say the whole company's finished. Hello? It doesn't matter that you take on water. Too much water, then we're all panicking. But your ship is designed to take on trouble. You have the capacity to take a hold of a beating spiritually. You have the capacity to be disappointed. You have the capacity to feel let down. You have that capacity. God's put that inside you. You have the capacity to go to hell and come back again. Rejoicing. You have that capacity. I know you don't feel it, but it's there. Because when you think you've lost your world, 
Six months, eight months later, you realise you didn't. You came back. You were on the ropes. You heard the bell. You heard the countdown. And somehow God got you off the ropes. And brought you back. Hey, I've been to that place many times. It's not over. You have the capacity to, to endure far more than you've endured. And no, this is not the flavour of the month preaching this, is it? But I'm telling you, you have far more capacity. Lord, if this be possible, take this cup away from me. No, because you have the capacity, son, to go all the way. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Now, okay, son, that's, what, that's great. And then, for the joy of the world, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, showing that he had the capacity. You say, well, I'm not Jesus. No, but you've got Jesus inside you. You've got his strength. When you're weak, that's when you're strong. You can do those things that he's called you to do. You can't do everything. You can do those things he's called you to do. True? Why would you want to do everything? Why would you want to do everything? Some things are not in my heart to do. But if they are in his heart and he puts them in my heart, then he'll give me the grace to do them. True? I can't play football like Messi. Ronaldo, yes. Messi, no. <laughs> Those boys will tell you on a Tuesday night, there is a Ronaldo here. But Messi, I'm too big. I didn't qualify. Messi's a wee man. Yeah, Phil, you could have been a Messi. Well, you are Messi. <laughs> Messi, yeah, that's probably right, isn't it? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you will, please. One Corinthians chapter two, verse seven, starting at verse seven. You have that capacity, you know. David said it succinctly this morning. That's why I said you're giving me ammunition to speak this morning when he shared his testimony. He says, "I know I'm in the right place." And David's obedience to in his walk with David has assured him that he's in the right place. And when he said in the right place, it doesn't mean to, he wasn't talking about church, he was talking about his relationship with God. He knows in his company he's in the right place. Everything is sinking. When I say sinking, not S I N, okay, S Y. Sinking, synergizing, connecting. Do you understand that? Everything in his heart is sinking in with the will of God rather than sinking. Yeah? That's difficulty with English language. So here we say, now we speak of God's secret wisdom. This is why we can get in the boat and be assured we're in the right place. No, no, no. He says, no, no, no. Because before the no, 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 there's been arguments about we, don't do, we should do this. We shouldn't do that. We should do this. And he goes, we're not, being, we're not like the world. No, 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 no. He says, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden. And that has been destined for our glory before time began. So things have been predestined for us. Hello? So, it's all, and it all comes out, the troubles. And the hardships. And the glory. And the beautiful days. It's all been predestined for us. And it's got to come out somewhere on the journey. Yeah? And we speak this secret wisdom. It's been hidden. But God, the things that have been hidden is now... He's been given to us and, he's, and we're destined to, to receive them. Then he says this. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Right. They could not see. They could not see 
What by crucifying Christ, it only caused problems for them. Because once they, they crucified Christ, death and sickness was finally taken back and the keys to heaven and hell were restored. You now have a way to the Father where if Jesus had not died and been crucified and endured, and, uh, endured the shame on the cross, you and I would never have had a way back. Satan has been defeated because of what Jesus did. If they'd have understood that, he never would have crucified him. They'd have kept the door shut. So they were blind. So there's something they couldn't see, but we understand. Amen? Now, when you go for your trials and tribulations, there's things you don't see, but they were still destined for your glory. And you think, you know what? I was praying completely the opposite, but now with hindsight, two years later on, you know that God, he is smart, isn't he? He does know what he's on about. Dirt, yeah. Me, God, you not. That's the first revelation you need. Second revelation, God good, devil bad. So when God literally looked like he was cutting your legs from underneath you, he wasn't, he was saving you. But he didn't look like that, did it? Because of your distortion, your atmospheric pressure, God was saying, hey, if you go down this path, there's an iceberg. So, and then he says this, however, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But, I love that, but, God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So there's things we know that nobody else knows. There's things I know that you don't know. And there's things you know that I don't know. Why? Because God's revealing them to you by his spirit. Amen? And when I'm in this boat, and I'm going to the other side, and my boat's taking on water, God has to reveal himself to me in a unique way in order for me to stay safe. Because if I don't see him and I don't feel him, after a while, when I say feel him, I feel his presence. If I don't see, hear from him and I don't feel his presence, I get the feeling sometimes, have I left him? Have I done something wrong? I need assurances. I need assurances. Anybody need assurance? That's the wonderful thing about the voice of the Holy Spirit. It comes to reassure us. And then he says this. Uh, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except a man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. There's our key, access through the Spirit of God. God gives us his Spirit, his Holy Spirit, so that we can know his thoughts. We can know his ways. We can know his will. Knowing that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. The Holy Ghost is the rudder. He's the revealer. He has so many things to us. He's the comforter. Amen? He's the counsellor. Do what he says. This is what the Lord is saying to you. Through the Spirit this morning, we're speaking. Through the Spirit, I gave that prophecy, not prophecy, sorry, that word of um, knowledge, yeah, word of knowledge, about the lasso. If I don't see it in the Spirit, I'm in trouble. It's just the flesh. So then he says this. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, 
But in words taught by the Spirit. What do we do? We express spiritual truth in spiritual words. Notice truth and words have to be spiritual. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that comes from the Spirit of God. He doesn't even know why he's in a boat. He doesn't even know why the boat's moving. Why? Because his relationship and his connection with the Father is not good. So to him, everything's purposeless. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. When God says, get in the boat, go and join that church, be part of that body, God knows what's in that place is good for you. God knows. You don't know, but God knows. So God sends the first bit of revealing. He says, go to that place. You've often heard me give the testimony. For years and years and years, me of me living in Openshot, I walk past this church. And the first day it comes in, I come from a completely different background than this. You know this. But for those who haven't, just indulge me for a second. For those people, uh, for this church, it was Pentecostal and you were all weirdos. Because, I, because where we went, we had the truth. We were arrogant. You were flaky, but we were arrogant. So I walks into the church, and Colin Carson, he's speaking in tongues, and he, you know, the whole thing looked weird. And I walked out of this church, and the vow I made walking, I know exactly where I was. I walked right over the, the, uh, the canal bridge here, and I looked to Stuart Graham, and I said, I will never, ever go back into that place. They are a bunch of nutters. And then here I am, pastoring the place. <laughs> I know the vow I made. I know the vow, and I meant it. You were nutters. Not you, the people who were there before you. <laughs> they were nutters. And that was a whole journey. God always knew what was good for me. God always knew. The people didn't always feel it. But God knew what was good for me. And if God knows what's good for me, the same Heavenly Father that loves me, loves you, knows what's good for you also. God knows where you should be. Why? Because that's God's business to do that. That's what, that's what makes him God. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows where the icebergs are. Amen? He knows where they are. He knows how to plot our course. And he tells us that get out into the boat. Get moving. Let's get this thing moving, he said. Let's get your life moving. Let's get you into the deep. Let's get you to the place where you have to trust me. You know when you walk out and all of a sudden you start walking, you like the part where your feet are on the ground and all of a sudden your feet are off the ground, you're thinking, sharks! Something's going to get me. I hate the sea because you never know what's under there. True? In a swimming pool you can see. But in the sea you can't. And you always think that even in Wales, a shark's going to get you. Of all places, a killer whale's going to get you. Every sea beast in the world that God had created is going to suddenly turn up on your beach. True? Because you can't see. God says, get out into the deep. Not likely. Let me, put, let me put feet on terra firma. God says, no, no, no. With me, Tony, it's always the deep. Let your feet get off the ground. Let's get this thing moving. Let's deal with some stuff. Let's, let's strip you down. Let's purge you. No, no, no. I prefer to keep my feet on the ground where I've got some control. Exactly. Control. I've got the keys to your life. It's Christ in me. 
I no longer live, but Christ who is in me. Well, guess what? That's a lie of your living and you're making, all the, you're making all the decisions. It's a lie. Christ does not live in you and he's not the hope of your glory. If you are dictating everything, you're the owner. Christ is the owner. If you're, I'm talking about regularly doing that all the time, then don't kid yourself. You can't say what Paul said. It is no longer I that live. Oh, there's a lot of living in you and I. And Christ is saying, no, no, no. If you're going to get in my boat, guess what? You might learn to swim. You might not need to learn to swim. But nevertheless, be prepared. You've seen that program on a Saturday night about the diving, haven't you? Is it Splash? How the hell do they leave that thing up there and jumping there? It's beyond me. I don't mind doing a bomber. I don't mind jumping off it. But there's no way I'm diving off it. Because seeing your back come across over like that, it's like, whoa, Jimmy. I don't mind all of me hitting the water like that, but going over, no, 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 no. But you know, sometimes Jesus would climb up, jump off. Oh, no, Lord, don't ask me that. Let's do it together. Me and you, let's go bungee jumping together. No. Some things get a no. <laughs> but let's face fear. Okay, Lord, choose another way. If there's any way, Lord, any other way. Bungee jumping. No way in this world am I ever doing bungee jumping. Seems like a stupid idea. No human eye or ear has ever heard what God has in store on the other side for you. You don't know what's on the other side for you. On the other side, there's so much more for you and for me. But you've got to get in the boat. And if you're fighting all the time in the boat, you'll never get to the other side. But there's so much more on the other side. So much more. God has to give us, God has to keep on revealing by His Spirit things in our hearts to make us, to encourage us, to stir us, to keep on keeping on. God has to do it. If you're not hearing God, why would you keep in the boat? I'm going this way, and all of a sudden I don't hear His voice, and I say, Lord, show me, confirm to me. And God sends someone across my path and you go, oh, thank God. Thank you, Lord. When I didn't think you were watching or you were listening, you proved to me again. Tony says, God says, you know what? I said I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm just letting you know that there might be times when I let you walk and you don't listen. You don't, I, I, I withdraw purposely. Because the more I withdraw, I see you pressing into me more vigorously. Which then draws me to you. It's like the baby with a cry. If the baby cries all the time, what does a parent go? You're just whinging. You're not crying for attention. You're just whinging. And then the mother distinguishes the different cries. And then she, when the baby cries and she knows the sound a bit, the mother's drawn to the child. But she knows the difference between whinging. It's amazing how a kid can... All of a sudden, the finger's, finger's not the problem now. Why? Because it knows how to manipulate her. Kids know how to manipulate. They're very good. Colossians 1.17 says this. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to go there. He is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. In him. In him. All things. Your job, your family, your finances, all those things are held together. You might need some wisdom of how to manage all that kind of stuff. But it's all in him. It's all in him. You spending like you haven't got any money, don't think because it's in him, he's going to give you a check to counteract your stupidity. No, that doesn't work. 
principles is what establishes stability. But it's still in him. The principles are in him. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. God sustains everything by his word. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in Matthew 8. When Jesus saw the storm and he saw the disciples panicking, he rebuked the wind and waves. And instantly, a calmness came right on the lake. Hey, hey, go and figure that one. Why? He did it through his word. He spoke to the wind and waves. He didn't even pray. He spoke. Waves, wind and waves, cease. That'll be it. Game over. You know, it's the Jesus Christ within you that attracts both blessing and hardships to your life. You need to understand that. Having Christ inside you just does not only attract good things. It attracts difficult difficulties, trials and tribulations. Why? Because the Christ inside you. The Christ inside you is building his kingdom through you. He's establishing his truth in you and is establishing his will beyond you hello there's work he's doing within you but there's also work he's doing beyond you now i know in the kingdom of self you only think that god's interested in you but god's doing a work behind your back and he's doing a work beyond you that's why you have to get in the boat to go to the other side to see what he's doing beyond you. That's why when you travel to different nations, you see what God is doing in a national or international context where you and I only ever see what God's doing in the local church context. And you, begin to, you and I begin to judge and assimilate everything that God's doing through the local church context, which is not an accurate picture. It's only one picture. This is why we have to go beyond our doors to see what God's doing. Because everything that you are hearing, everything you see, you'll only ever uh, judge it and weigh it up and interpret it through the local church. Well, God's doing something somewhere else. And until you see it, your local church has no context until you see the wider context. And then you see the consistency of God. See, because in the local church, many times we're consumed with ourselves. True? How, I, how my week's been. How I've had troubles. How I, you think you've got troubles. Listen to God. And until you go into another nation, you know, another nation or going to another part of our country and seeing somebody else suffer helps you to forget that you, you ain't even got a problem no more. And it helps to put things in perspective. It's helpful to clarify things. And you think, God, I'll never moan about that again. Forgive me. Someone else has got it far worse. Those refugees right now who are going in from Syria to Jordan. Right now, they've got it far worse than you and I. That doesn't make your problem insignificant. It's still real. And God's still interested in that. But please, we've got to come to another level so we see clearly what God's doing beyond us. That's where you've got to get in the boat, get to the other side to see what God's doing. Can you see this? You've got to go to the other side. You can't just go to work, come to church, go to work, come to church. Even though work has a context, church has a context, it's not the big picture. 
There's a world, the map out there, there's a world beyond Drawlsdon. I know it's hard to imagine. God is bringing the nations to us so that the nations can go back and strategically affect the nations. But if we don't know what's going on, that's why it's good for us to go out and see. So when we come back, our prayers are more accurate, more intense, more sincere. Because life, we only see it through the, news, the newspapers or the media. And guess what? Media is bias. It's political. It has an agenda. Yes, it's motivated by politics. Doesn't want to show someone in a bad light. Doesn't want to show someone in a good light. Because it'll justify the, the, the agendas of governments. If we keep saying Iraq's good, then we give the military no action to go in. So we paint this picture, blah, 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 blah. And then the rest goes on. So go to Luke chapter 5, if you will, please. And I'll bring this thing down. You attract blessing just as you attract trouble. And I know you like blessing, so we'll start on blessing. Because if I hit the trouble, I've lost you. You're made for both. You have the capacity for both. And you know what? It's like buses. You can wait ages and ages for blessing to come. And then all of a sudden, blessing comes two or three. True? And then, but the same can also be said of trouble. You know that one of the hardest things for anyone is this. And please listen to what I'm saying because I'm about to save your life. This is free of charge. You fight war on too many fronts, you're dead. You can only fight war on one front. If we learn anything about military history, trying to spread your resources too wide will have serious consequences. Put all your energy in dealing with one thing. We say, call it spinning plates, call it what you want. But deal with one thing, and one thing only. Because that's the priority. Deal with one thing. Move that out of your territory, and then go on. But don't try and think you've got all the capacity to spin all these plates. Deal with one thing. Deal with the most important. Deal with the urgent. The thing that's going to save your life and save others. Deal with that thing. Put all your time and energy into that. Remove them. And then... You think, well, what happens if they surround me? Guess what? Then you need to include other people into your boat to help you pray. If you think you've got all the energy to fight all these things, guess what? You are sadly mistaken. You will abandon ship. You'll be taken over or overtaken by the powers. Because you and I have capacity. You need to know your grace and your capacity. You have a far greater capacity and a tolerance to take hold of some stuff. But there's wisdom involved. Fight where you need, fight what needs to be fought over. Stand where you need to stand. Resist where you need to resist and submit where you need to submit. Amen? You know, stupidity and, and um, what's the word? Pride creates a lot of our own wars. Admitting that we need help. Admitting that we were wrong. They, man, there are some serious battles that we've got to fight. And that, that's not really a battle, that's a battle within. That's a battle within. And we've all got them. Believe me, we've all got them. So one day Jesus was standing in the lake. Verses 1, chapter 5 of Luke. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
So he, he sat at the water's edge. Two boats left there by the fishermen who were there washing their nets. He got into one of them, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat, giving himself a little space so they just couldn't run into the water and barge him. Why? Because sometimes teaching's more important than miracles. Hello? But the church want miracles. But there's practical reasons because the further he goes out, he can see them all. And they can see him. But he can't go too far because they can't hear his voice. So, not that was a problem, I suppose. So he gets out in the boat so that they can't all do a run. A run and splash at him. But he wants to teach him. And sometimes, this is the problem with the church, it goes all miracle-centered and doesn't teach the people. We can't have all miracles. We want miracles with teaching. Because they make sense of what's happening. Amen? But we can't have one or the other. We have both. So Jesus is teaching them before the miracle comes. Or at least he's teaching Peter. He got up into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, do us a favour. Put out into the water and let down the nets for the catch. Simon, you can imagine Simon's head going down. Oh, flipping it. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught squat. But because you say so, through gritty teeth, I'm going to let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish. A la- what kind of number? A large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them. And you can imagine Peter thinking, no, 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 I've got all the muscle. I'll pull it all in. No, no, he realized, no, 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 I need help. So, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. Blessing now is sinking them. Amen? It's sinking them. But it's not going to sink. Why? Because Jesus is in the boat. Okay? So he says this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. What do you mean go away from me? I've just blessed you. Now you're telling me to go away. Lord, I am a sinful Man, wow, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on, you're going to catch men. All that, just to show him an illustration. Son, you're going to do this for me. Just like God did with me on that stood on the top of that printing press. He let a printing press go to rack and ruin just to show me you're going to do this for me one day. I can identify with Peter. So he says, and they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Some people are convinced by miracles, others are not. But in verse four, you put, you put out into the deep water and let down the net for the catch came the command of the Lord. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Yeah. And the, and the reply says, you know, Tony, I've worked all night. What you're saying I've heard all before. I've done it all before. But Tony, you know, you can't teach me on this because we've got the experience. But you had bad experience. Yeah? What did he come into? He, he came into human reasoning. He came into human reasoning. One of the things that will cause your boat 
to take on water or sink is your human reasoning when God speaks. You cannot have human reasoning. Faith is the response. You must. Now it doesn't mean you can't think about what God's saying. But arguing your way out on a natural basis is human reasoning. You must think about what God's saying. But you, oh, at the end of the day, when you finish doing it, you need faith to respond. Okay, I'll do it. Human reasoning, human logic. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Human reasoning only went so far and then faith kicked in and said, because you've said so, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Obedience was Peter's greatest gift. Because you said it, I'll do it. How many times, when God, listen, when God speaks, it doesn't have to make sense. I know that's God, you're gone, gone, lost you now, aren't I? How much of what God speaks to me doesn't make sense? It always remains true and it always remains scriptural. But it doesn't make sense. Why? Because when God asks you to do something, he doesn't show you what he knows. Come on, you need to work with me here. I don't, I don't like it. You, some of you have not experienced this before. God does not have to explain himself. He doesn't. I know you don't like that about that, about God, but God doesn't explain himself. In fact, when God speaks to me, there's not a lot of words that come out of his mouth. It's few words, but I understand enough to say I need to do it. When God says to me, go to the city, and I'm praying that time, and, and, and I'm saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And God says, it's the wrong prayer. Why don't you ask me what kind of man the city needs? Now, I have my own perception of what he was talking about. But you know, I haven't even scratched the surface about what he was talking about. All he's asking, asking me, or asking from me, and of you is your obedience. And then as you start walking, you see the common sense behind what he asked you to do. You see the spiritual truth. When God spoke, spoke to David or speaks to Tony, God doesn't ask permission to speak to you. God looks for an opportunity. He's God. He's speaking all the time. Thank God that the Holy Spirit in me revealed what he was saying to me. Because without him, I'd have been deaf. So he says, get in the boat. He didn't explain himself why. Just get in the boat. You ever told the kids to get in the car? <laughs> get in the car. Why, why, why? Just get in the flipping car now, will you? Now, Jesus didn't say it like that. He said, get in the boat. Why? Well, I, you know, that would have been me. Well, I, oh, I should say, that would have been our Ben. Well, I want to know why. And then he'd have stiffened up his back so we can't get him in the car. You know what kids do? And you're trying to kick the back of the legs to get him. Bend, bend, you sucker, bend. The kids stiffen up like that. They go, they go starfish on you, don't they? That's what you do. You, you stiffen up. Stiff-necked people. That's what the Bible calls them. Stiff-necked people. God says, look, just take me at my word. It's called faith. When he said to Abraham, take your son. Go and make a sacrifice. Did he explain to him? Read your Bible. But he said, nevertheless, I'll do it. He's even talking to his son. Son, today there's going to be a sacrifice. Who's going to do it? Don't worry, son. God's going to provide. If he doesn't, it's you. <laughs> Can you imagine? Child services would have had him right there. <laughs> Verse 6. 
And when they had obeyed, they caught such a large number of fish. Blessing then becomes the next stage. So you have human reasoning. Has to come to obedience or it stays at human reasoning. From obedience, the next stage is blessing. God always blesses obedience. God always blesses obedience. Hello, church. Dream Center, good morning. Good morning. We need obedience. God always blesses obedience. The next stage is partners need to come in. Because your blessing's not just for you. What one person does through obedience can bless an entire company of others connecting and laboring with you. Because you know how to transact with God accurately. If I can transact with God accurately and obedience is the fruit of my life, just imagine how much you can bless us as a house. Can imagine, let's go the other way. If I disconnect with God, can you imagine how it affects us as a house? Same with your relationship, same with your destiny, same with all the people who look to you for life and leadership, whether it be your children. Everything you, your obedience and disobedience is affecting, but your blessing is meant to be shared with others. Did Peter need all those fish? Didn't. He didn't. But guess what? The first thing he did is bring in the partners. Whatever you get, freely I have received, freely I give to you. You shared it with others. Wealth is not just for you. Wealth is not just for you. And when some people lose the jobs, you've got to look at your heart. Did you ever share? Did you ever give? Did you ever tithe? Did you ever make an offering? Was you ever generous? No. And you want more. And expect God to keep feeding your greed and your tight-fistedness. Got to look at your heart, guys. Got to look at your own heart. Sometimes God strips it all away so that you can rebuild. Amen? So, he signaled the partners what one person does can open up. Peter shared what God was giving him with others. This is why... You and I must adopt a spirit of generosity. Your belief must have generosity. And then when Peter saw this, he fell at his feet. Jesus, his knees and said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Listen, blessing must have humility. Blessing must have humility. You must have humility. We must not become an ungrateful people. We must not become a proud Arrogant people. Whatever God gives to us, we do not become proud of. Whatever God's doing with this house, we don't shout to other churches and say, look, our church is doing this, God's doing this, na, 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 na. Hey, guess what? What God's doing over there, wonderful. What God's doing with us, he's blessing us according to our obedience. Amen? So many churches use it to, be, to show the other guys what they're not doing. Get everyone to come to us. That's not right. Hey, been guilty of that in the years gone by. And humility is what softens the heart and shows us. And I always tell Paul and I always tell Tom, I say, whatever God's doing through our youth, don't you dare brag about it in a proudful, boastful way. If you're going to boast, boast in God. But don't boast, our church is this, our church is that, our church is this. We went down that route and we lost everyone. So above all else, the Bible says, guard your heart. Because it's the wellspring of life. Out of the heart come all the issues. Amen? So, human reasoning. The first reason for not to get in the boat is human reasoning. What will it cost? Where's it going to take me? Then, but it demands your obedience. Then, blessing comes, follows obedience. Then, partnership comes. 
then humility must come. Humility is what keeps you. You know, if God turns up, the, if God takes us out into the deep and a, a sco- uh, what do they call them, a sh- school, shoal of fish, shoal, shoal, shoal of fish turns up every day on my doorstep, guess what? Fantastic. But guess what? How many of you know it's not for you? All the resources that God puts into the house are not for us. They're meant to be shared. So the best that we can. That's why the food pantry picked me spirit up. I thought we need to investigate what God's doing. We need to see what God's doing. in We've been praying about Tameside for goodness sake. We need to use everything that God is doing. So my spirit pricks up. Sent an email out only yesterday. Tell me more. Find out what's going on. I need to know. Because that just might be what God's doing outside these four walls. Amen. So let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.